0: I do believe it'll be Darnold. I'm sorry, uh, Jackson, uh, Mayfield,
1: and Darnold as one, two, and three. I, I agree. I'm I'm not taking Melvin Gordon. I'm not taking Ezekiel Elliott in any draft.
2: On this episode, some last-second fantasy advice from a former pro athlete, and we talk to a scout about running quarterbacks. It's going to be fun. hut. <laughs>
1: we are cutting against the grain. Against the grain. Against the grain. Against. The grain. Oh, good. Host for Against the Grain. grain. Here's Andrew Perloff.
2: Welcome back to Against the Grain. It's late in the fantasy football season, but there are a lot of drafts the Tuesday and the Wednesday before the regular season Bears Packers game. I have a huge money draft on Tuesday night before the season. I've been bilking these Wall Street guys who think they know football. Actually, they do know a lot of football. Very competitive league, very high money. I, a couple years ago, did really well in it. Last year, had very, very bad luck. Not bad analysis, of course. But I am really fired up. There is one player who I am just absolutely in love with. We'll talk about on the pod because we're going to have some uh, fantasy experts today. Brad Ziegler, who was a former Major League Baseball pitcher, a sidearm reliever, who's become a fantasy writer for The Athletic, has always loved fantasy football, loves his Kansas City Chiefs. He's a good friend, and I'm telling you, he knows his stuff as well as any fantasy writer. He has lots of good insights. And we're going to talk to Emery Hunt from The Athletic. That's going to be a little bit less fantasy and a little bit more Jacoby Brissett and the Colts. Now, Hunt has a lot of contrarian takes. I think he fits in very well with the the against-the-grain motif. He does not think like other people, especially when it comes to running quarterbacks. Let's put it this way. He's a lot higher on Lamar Jackson than you would even think. All right, we're going to get into it right now with my buddy, former pitcher, fantasy guru. Let's hit it. Psyched to be joined by an old friend, Brad Ziegler, former Major League Baseball pitcher and now the athletic fantasy analyst. Now, Brad, you've been into fantasy for a long time. Real quick, describe how important fantasy football is in a baseball locker room.
1: Oh man! Once once August rolls around and you start looking toward the draft, it's that is the the cohesive thing going on with almost everybody. Even the guys who are not in the the locker room league will come to the draft and hang out and and want to be there with everybody. But I mean, you're you're sitting in the bullpen the first five six innings of the game, not paying a whole lot of attention, and you're sitting there talking trade with the the other guys. Um, <laughs> and, um, once you have your draft all the way through the end of the season. And that honestly didn't change, even when I was in playoff locker rooms. Like the fantasy aspect of it was still really important, and even in you know when you're fighting for a playoff spot down the stretch.
2: I got to be honest, you're not painting a picture of intensity for a relief pitcher there. I kind of thought you know studying batters and like on the computer looking at numbers and stuff. Not not so much.
1: Uh, Not (laughs) be honest this way. That that stuff still happens. You still got to be ready to go out on the field, but. But the first few innings of the game, if you're starting pitchers, you know, pitching decent and he's not getting shelled and you know it's going to be a little while before you get in there, Hmm. you don't start worrying about the other team's lineup or who's on the bench or anything at that point. You've done all that prep work before the game started. Uh, But like during during batting practice, you're hanging out in the outfield or or the first few innings of the game, guys sitting in the dugout, you know, obviously down at the other end of the bench from the manager. Like there's constant talk going on after your draft is is going and even before the draft, once you kind of find out like, Oh, I'm drafting fifth. I wonder who I'm going to take there. You know, that, that kind of talk is happening all the time.
2: Wow. By the way, I almost called you midseason. I, you know, I'm a Phillies fan. I almost wanted to urge you to sign with Philadelphia, but we're not going to get it. We're going to talk football now. <laughs> okay. So I want to ask a lot, you know, a lot of people have had drafts already. A lot of people have their big boards set are there a few guys who you've seen in the last couple of weeks of preseason, arguably the meaningful weeks, week two and three, that you have moved dramatically up and down your position big boards?
1: Yeah, so um, the, the the biggest stuff is the the giant injuries. So Lamar Miller gets hurt. Yep. I moved Duke Johnson way up. You know, uh, Andrew Luck gets hurt. It shifts basically every quarterback up, and then you got to kind of figure out where Jacoby Brissett slots in and you know it, and and then you have the holdouts you've got Ezekiel Elliott news coming out this morning that you know Jerry Jones basically says there's no deadline for a contract like we're we're playing this is a marathon for us like yeah. we're basically we're willing to wait until we get a, a deal that we are comfortable with and and go with the guys that we have and then you have the ESPN report that that uh you know Melvin Gordon they expect Melvin Gordon to sign before week 1 which is all this has has kind of been very contradictory to everything I anticipated I <laughs> thought Melvin Gordon has a chance to sit out half the season. I thought Ezekiel it, w- would be back by week one, and and maybe both those things happen. You never know, but it's it's you know the dynamics of NFL contracts and certain guaranteed money and and you know all this stuff that's so much different than than anything you have to deal with in a, in baseball. And so I'm not familiar with all the language in there, and and I'm speculating just solely based on articles I read. But it's that makes predicting these situations challenging because. You have the third or fourth overall pick, fifth overall pick, and Ezekiel Elliott might still be sitting there. Do you take him with the risk of of, you know, potentially missing a few games? Or at that point, do you go with, you know, David Johnson, James Connor, if you're wanting a running back, and go with the guy that you know is gonna be there day one and and you know, yeah, Zeke might get you better scores each week when he's there, but you just don't know if he's gonna be there or not.
2: You know, I think of Zeke basically if I was him, I would play eight eight games this year come in week eight and wait till I was getting paid a million dollars a game as compared to what he's getting paid now, I would save his legs. And only, because he's a running back. I mean, this is, this is not something that happens in baseball. I know the wear and tear is it doesn't follow the same pattern. But if you're advising Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, come on, does he, would you tell him to come to week one? Say you were a teammate or would you say, listen, dude, you're underpaid. So why don't you wait till you are going to be appropriately paid?
1: But but that's it, it all is relative because he's not underpaid from the sense that he is a first round draft pick. He's in the you know fourth year of his contract. He's he or third year of his contract. He's not he's got a long ways to go before he's a free agent. He's still two years away from that. Whereas Melvin Gordon, you know on the flip side is in his fifth year option, and basically the only way the Chargers are going to be able to to keep him is either to franchise tag him next year, which we all know how much of a mess that is or sign him to a long-term deal. And it's a lot different situation for Zeke because he has to be there a certain amount of time to accrue games for free agency. And it's it's different than Gordon. And and if he sits out half the year, his his game check doesn't change. It it just depends on how many game checks he gets. And so let's say he's not, you know, he's, they don't work out a long-term deal and at some point he just decides to show up. Well, he's going to make less money than what his contract says because it's all prorated per game. And so, it, yeah it that's that's the beauty of not you know not showing up is you're also turning down money and he's probably just looking at it like oh they're going to give me a new deal i'll come back when i have that new deal because then i'm taken care of and who knows i mean if he if he's insistent on these demands that being the second highest paid running back is not enough then at that point what what if the cowboys try to call the bluff and say you know what we're going to roll with tony pollard and see what happens here. And if Tony Pollard goes out and rushes for 125 yards and two touchdowns week one, Zeke's leverage is is out the window at that point because they're they're basically going to say like, hey, man, we're, we've got this guy that that we picked up this year, and we are totally fine running with him if you're going to insist that we pay you obscene money for you know compared to what other NFL running backs are making.
2: So, Brad, I have a big money draft with a bunch of finance guys. You know, I live in downtown New York. Uh, and I've been able sure. to build them a little bit. It's next Tuesday. With a draft like that, I want—I don't want to deal with the Elliott drama. I, I, best ball league, yeah, I'm all over both Pollard and Elliott. But I, I feel like you know, playing fantasy football. There's, there's a level of stress you have to deal with. I'm not taking Zeke at three and having to sit there and wonder what's going to happen. What, what's your philosophy on that?
1: I, I feel the same way. I, I in no way want to have risk with my first round pick. I don't want to take a Todd Gurley who's got these knee injury questions, even though he's looked good, you know, in practices and in training camp and stuff. Um and but at some point you worry like is he just gonna wake up one morning the day after a game and his knee's gonna swell up and he's gonna miss four to six weeks after that after having to get scoped or something. You just kind of never know. I, I don't want that risk. So I'm going I, I agree. I'm I'm not taking Melvin Gordon I'm not taking Ezekiel Elliott in any draft because I just don't want that risk with my first rounder. Give me David Johnson. Give me James Conner. Give me, uh, you know, Nick Chubb. Give me even even you know guys like Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon are guys that I would take over over the top of Ezekiel Elliott right now, which basically means I'm never going to draft him because he's always going to go before those guys get up, get taken off the board.
2: Okay, obviously I'm, I've looked very closely at all those players you just mentioned. I don't think Dalvin Cook is one of those guys anymore. I'm so excited about Dalvin Cook after that big run he had the other day in preseason. Like, he's one of those guys that I'm overspending an auction draft for. I'm just going nuts on. The dude looks like a star.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not a question of talent. It's with him, it's all a question of health. And they don't, you know, they didn't even bring in a, a top round draft pick to compete with him this year out in that scenario. They, they brought in Alexander Madison. Uh, I believe they took him in the fourth round he's a Boise State running back and and we've seen, you know, that their Boise State running backs have not a lot of times translated well to the NFL. So it, I think he's just a depth guy. They lost Latavius Murray so they had to fill somebody in the in the running back room and there's no question, Dalvin Cook is the guy if he's healthy and if he happens to be healthy for 16 games, we have I mean, he we could be seeing literally the a, a rushing champ or or at least an RB1 in fantasy. RB1 overall because he has that upside and that's a pretty good offense, especially if he's in it and, and running, it makes the passing game more effective. And, and you just need cousins to be adequate at that point, you, but but it's all about all, all a matter of cook being on the field.
2: Absolutely. Okay. Uh, as long as I have you, let's just go through the top 10 picks real quick. So let's say okay. it's a half point PPR. We'll compromise there. Uh, Go. I don't know. Have you ranked? Do you have your like your your top ten? I know you yeah. have. Yeah. Go ahead. Run down for me. Uh, and anyone listening who has last second drafts, where do you go, Brad Ziegler?
1: Okay, so I'm taking Barkley first overall. Me too. Um, if nothing else, solely for volume. Like he, there's no one else in that offense that's going to take volume away. He was really good last year. I'd like to think he's going to make some progress and get a little bit better. It's not like he's he he's maxed out his his potential and capabilities yet. So. I'm taking Barkley one. I'm going McCaffrey two, uh, kind of for the same reason. Love, I I love CMC. I'm taking Kamara three, but then after that, I'm immediately pivoting to wide receiver, um, because I'm, again, I'm avoiding Zeke. So I'm going DeAndre Hopkins at fourth. Um, I would take David Johnson fifth. I would take James Connor sixth. I would take Devontae Adams seventh. I would take Dalvin Cook eight. Um, looking down, making sure I'm not missing somebody here. Taking Julio Jones nine.
2: Wait, did, have and... you said Zeke yet, or you you're just loud? No, even... no,
1: no. I I would not take Zeke in the first round. Like, okay. If I'm if I'm, so he's out of my top. Okay, 12. okay. I've got him. Yeah, right now I've actually got him as my number thirteen running back. Okay.
2: On, and thirteen you know, running back really
1: subject to change, but okay. Yeah, solely because solely because of it, say he misses four games. Yeah. And I'm, I'm ranking those projections for total points at the end of the year. So it, four games worth, he's not going to make up that enough ground in 12 games to, to justify having to have him sit on your bench for four games. So, okay. um, so I say, I think I had Julio at nine. Um, I've got Tyree Hill at 10.
2: Well, that I've was wait, Chubb. Brad, I was about to ask Go you, so it. you're a huge chief fan and yeah. it, it's been a wild off season for Tyree Hill. Obviously lost Kareem hunt. Uh, are you still as bullish on this offense in the second year with Patrick Mahomes?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think a lot of people are predicting regression with regression with him and they say regression to the mean. And my argument to that is what, what mean is there with him? How do you know that last year wasn't his mean? It's, I realize it's, it's a, it was an obscure season as far as it's rarely been done in NFL history. But that doesn't mean he can't do it again. And he literally has essentially every weapon back. They went and added McCole Hardman. They went and added Darwin Thompson to give him a little dynamic receiving back. Damian Williams was a monster the last five games of the year last year when he was starting and, and and into the playoffs. And if I mean as long as they don't have major injury issues or off the field issues, then I like there's the sky's the limit for this offense. I think they could theoretically be better than last year. Whoa. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's legitimately possible because, the, and the biggest thing is their defense is going to be a little bit better because well, it essentially wait. can't be worse.
2: Okay. they, but they, they brought l- in
1: Steve Spagnolo.
2: I loved Spagnolo, but they lost Don Bahali. They lost uh, uh, Justin Houston they, and D Ford. You know, that's a lot of sacks that are out the window. I know they brought in Frank Clark, but still, they had a bad defense and then they let the good players go.
1: Well, so I, I'm going to disagree in that Justin Houston and Lee were quote unquote, good players last year. They were good at, in their primes, but last year you could see a fall off from both of them. And that's why they basically let them both go for nothing. They both just walked in free agency um, and neither, neither signed with anybody. So, um, but, but I will say D Ford was really good. Um, and I'm, I'm not, not denying that, but he was not as good as he was in 2017 and and there were also there was also a lot of angst in Kansas City when he had the offside call against the Patriots uh, on the you know the play that basically could have sealed the Chiefs' fate in in going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and he was lined up offside, and there was a lot of angst there. He was about to be um, paid. He was a you know going into a franchise tag situation where he was about to be paid a lot of money. They got a second round pick for him. And they were ready to move on because then they basically flipped that pick along with the first to get Frank Clark, who can be just as dynamic. But he's also – it's a 4-3 system now. And they ran a 3-4 last year where D Ford sat as an outside linebacker, as an edge rusher. They don't have that spot in their defense anymore. So he wasn't even really a good fit for Spagnuolo's system. Right. So they bring in Teron Matthew, um, who I absolutely love. And everybody he's just everybody's just raving about him in training camp. Um, they've they've changed up their cornerback situation a lot. And that to me was their biggest weakness last year. They had a pass rush, they were okay at linebacker, but their their defensive backs were brutal. And now they have bought in brought in Bashad Breland. They brought in um you know, they drafted Juan Thornhill to play in their secondary. There are guys who they've brought in to make their defense better. And I'm not saying they're going to be an elite defense, but I also think they're going to be a top half defense, which no. is I mean, a half. top half defense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, I don't think they will, Brett.
2: Brett, but people are going to be passing against them because they're going to be behind. You know, they. I think by nature of having such a great offense, it's really hard to have a great defense statistically.
1: And 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 so I'm looking at this as a top half defense from a fantasy football perspective. In that, if you throw out when you do those defensive rankings, they they specifically insist don't rank based on points allowed because that's not factored into our formula. It's all based on turnovers, sacks, right. et cetera. Right. The, because the Chiefs' defense is going to be facing teams passing all the time, when a team is passing against you all the time, it lends itself to a lot more turnovers and sacks as opposed to sure. you know, when a team is trying to control the clock against you. So That's how Chris Jones had 15
2: sacks change. last year. Yeah. No, you're absolutely... Chris Jones was a monster last year. So, sure. But, but by the way, Justin
1: Clark was in Seattle too, and yeah. and you know a lot of reports are that he's getting better. And to me, it was all a matter of shoring up the secondary. And I don't know if they've done it or not. Time will tell. But I don't think they can be any worse than they were last year. Well,
2: Justin Houston, by the way, did play well in that playoff game against the Colts, who actually signed him. Uh, he he, uh, and he's only thirty, so I'm not totally giving up. But, but you're right, though they can't get worse. I'm a you know being from Philly, I'm a Spagnuolo fan. I saw what he did with the Eagles and the Giants. That gives you hope. By the way, Ron Jaworski on the DP show picked uh, Chiefs Eagles Super Bowl. Do you like that?
1: Yeah, it'd be tough to. I mean, at this point, you, you feel like there's probably legitimately 20 teams you could pick, and and you know people might be like, "Oh, that's a little little spicy," but also, I can see it. I can see it, and that's the way. I mean, I I think Carson Wentz is a. a you're going to like hearing this. I think Carson Wentz is an MVP candidate for sure. Oh yeah, and they 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 bring in weapons around him. Miles Sanders is is legit, and JJ Arcega-Whiteside is legit. And they they bring back Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey's healthy and all, all the all the different options they had. Now the biggest thing is Carson Wentz is healthy because he was you know fighting that most of last year. Now he's back. He's looked good so far. Like I yeah, the, I love the Eagles and and I have no problem at the, especially at the prices you're having to pay for for guys in drafts. I love getting pieces of this offense.
2: Yeah, but it's one of those situations where there's so many pieces and there's so much depth. Is it? Are you a little bit wary of overspending because there's a lot of guys for Carson to throw to?
1: There are, and that's why that's part of why Carson might be the best guy to own. Right, gotcha. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if Alshon Jeffrey. You know, he. I, I still think Jeffrey's going to be a clear number one receiver yeah. by the end of the uh, of the the process. And and when I say number one, number one for the Eagles, he's probably a wide receiver too, in fantasy. Uh, but I don't see him falling lower than that if he, especially if he plays all fifteen or sixteen games. So. It's you. You figure out, um, you know, kind of who your target guys are. Miles Sanders to me, he's. I mean, he's a sixth or seventh rounder in fantasy, and I'm jumping all over that because I think he's an RB two at a minimum, which should put him in the third round.
2: You know? And, yeah. Yeah. He. He. Preseason, it hasn't quite been there consistently. I have watched. You know, I watched a lot of. He's. He looks like LeSean McCoy, but I don't know. They like. They like to rotate in all those guys, but. Right, can I do a run? I want to do. run down. I just think at some
1: point, I just think at some point he's going to elevate himself toward they don't have a choice. And and yeah. it may not be until week five or six, but he's going to flash here and there. You know how the fans are in Philly. Like when they yeah. see those flash plays, they're going to start calling for it. At some point, they're going to realize he is exponentially better than Jordan Howard, even though I, Jordan Howard has a role. It's just not to me. It's not an every down back. I don't even want him as a first and second down back. I want him as a depth guy, yep. potential, you know, spell Sanders whenever he needs a breather, maybe get it on the goal line. But Sanders is good, man. He he was really good at Penn State, and his his biggest hang-up was he didn't have freshman and sophomore year production. Well, he was behind Saquon Barkley, so yeah. I, I don't fault him for that. When he got his chances junior year, he was really good, and that's good enough for me.
2: Okay, I want to run down some players in their average draft position. Just give me a quick thumbs-up or thumbs-down or whether you think this guy is too high or too low uh, let's start with uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Yahoo's at about 13. Are you bullish on Odell Beckham Jr.? Uh, n-
1: not at that price. I like him more like middle, mid to late second round. Okay. Um, I, I'm just not sold 100% to Baker Mayfield, the top five quarterback yet.
2: Okay. I got Le'Veon Bell around nine.
1: Uh, I am completely selling on that notion. I, I, would, I want Le'Veon Bell after... After Odell Beckham, who I like, I said I had mid mid to late second round. I don't want anything to do with Bell. I'm I'm really worried about the full year off. I'm worried about the Jets' offense and you know how I mean. They're the Jets. You know something's going to go wrong at some point.
2: Okay, let's move on. Juju Smith Schuster, the number one wide receiver in Pittsburgh.
1: Uh, where, where's his ADP?
2: Oh, his ADP. Sorry, seventeen.
1: So, oh, I' buying for sure. I, yeah. I'm okay taking taking Juju around. 13-14 I have no problem if someone wanted to take him at the 12-13 turn um you know that I yeah I like Juju a lot and Rofflesberger seems to love him and I think that's a big uh a big factor in how much he's going to get how, uh, targeted over the course of the year
2: okay Joe Mixon is at around 18 Bengals running back
1: I I would buy there uh, yeah the, I mean uh the, the really the only concern with Mixon is what's this offense going to be like without AJ Green. And Mixon was still fairly productive last year when Green didn't play. So, and, and again, he's still learning. He's still becoming, uh, a, you know, a, a legit NFL running back, and he was still really productive last year. So, yeah, I think I think there's upside there.
2: Okay, uh, this guy's a little bit controversial. Antonio Brown is at 24 today. Every episode of Hard Knocks, I think he goes down a little bit. Uh, where do you stand on AB? <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I would sell at that price. I, I'm okay. Taking him mid to late third round. Um, I don't want him as my first receiver. And when you're taking him 24, that's usually after taking Barkley or, or McCaffrey first overall, I don't want him as my number one receiver. I think there's, there's too many question marks and not just from, you know, are his feet. Okay. Is his helmet. Okay. <laughs> or is, is Derek Carr what he was three years ago or is Derek Carr what he was the last two years? And I just saw a lot of concerns that it doesn't matter to me if Antonio Brown's open a lot. I, I think there's a lot of times where he's going to be be missed um, while he's open. There's going to be some angst at some point during the year, some frustration, and and a rift. You know, I, I could see a rift happening, and and all of a sudden, you know, there there's quarterback controversy in Oakland. <laughs> like I could see all this happening. I just I, I'm shying away from him for sure.
2: Okay, uh, I think this will be the last one. It's a four-pack of running backs. They're all between 32 and 35. I give you Aaron okay. Jones on the Packers, Derrick Henry on the Titans, Devontae Freeman on the Falcons, and carry On Johnson on the Lions. Try and rank those guys.
1: Okay, so Carry On to me, is is the clear-cut number one uh, out of that group. I would take him in, in the middle of the second round right now. After they traded Theo Riddick and um, you know Matt Stafford's healthy this year, I think there's a really good chance he becomes a three-down back. Um, I would take Aaron Jones next out of that group. Um, I'm okay taking him in the third round. Okay, uh, you know, especially later in the third round. Um, it was Derrick Henry and who else? Who was uh,
2: let's see. It was Devontae de Freeman.
1: Freeman. Okay. Yeah. So I would probably take Freeman ahead of Henry. And the there's question marks with both Henry. It's it's going to be about usage. Obviously, he's been in a walking boot this this training camp, but um, Freeman by all accounts has looked healthy this year. He basically got an off year last year and and was able to rest his body some because he was banged up. So he he has a a little bit less miles on him. A lot of his injury issues in the past have been concussion related, um, which is not something that that is typically a nagging thing. Once he's back, he's passed all the protocol. As long as he doesn't have another one, I'm not too worried about that. So um, I would take Freeman in the fourth round, and I would probably play Henry at the end. I've seen some people predicting that Henry might lead the league in in rushing, which is – I think it's in his range of outcomes, but last year he was basically non-existent for 11 or 12 weeks. And then all of a sudden he had monster games where almost half of his production was in a three or four game stretch. And I don't want anything to do with that in fantasy. You know, I I'm all for the first four or five rounds. I'm going for safety. I want, give me the solid guy in that spot where I'm not taking a big chance. And then after my fifth round pick, when I get past the top 60 players, that's when I start going for upside. And that's where I want, I want, Christian Kirk, Curtis Samuels, mm-hmm. uh, Miles Sanders—those kind of guys who have, e- you know, enormous upside could be a wide receiver too. In the right, you know, if everything falls their way, I don't want to use, uh, have question marks with my top four or five picks. And so uh, that's why I'm, I'm definitely going away from Derrick Henry at that price.
2: Got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm eyeing those Cardinals receivers too. Okay, uh, last question: Who, now that you're retired, who is the best fantasy football player in Major League Baseball? Oh. Or is anybody good? I mean, obviously you're an expert. Who stood out?
1: Yeah, so so I've, I've played some leagues. Adam Wainwright is, is, by all reports, really good. I've never been in a league with him, but he, he runs big charity leagues and stuff, and apparently he's really involved. Um, I know Jeremy Hellickson's actually a, a pretty good fantasy player. I'm in a couple leagues with him, have been impressed with, with something. That he started out sucking, I will say that. And he has done a lot of research <laughs> and, and studying, and, and now he, is, he has improved his fantasy game. Uh, Brian Holiday, the Marlins catcher, I would I would throw in there as a, a decent player of guys I've played against. He's, he's made some questionable moves, but also <laughs> you know made made some really good ones too. Um, he is in love with Marquise Brown, by the way, the, the Ravens receiver, and I don't I don't get the the love at this point. But he just took him in the first round of a rookie draft we did, and I actually had Brown pegged as a third round pick in that draft. So, well,
2: Brad, um, it was Brad, you know that all the you know all the Marlins listened to this podcast, and now they're going to know. Of course. Yeah, so you 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 screwed your buddy there. All right, <laughs>
1: That's okay, I'm okay with that. So, we'll um, see. I know Max Scherzer is really good. Zach Greinke is really good. Um, guys, I'm trying to think of guys that I've I just kind of heard reputation. I mean, when I played with him, Brandon McCarthy was really good mm. at, at fantasy, and you know, obviously, he's in the Rangers front office now. So, um, I don't know if you would if, if he qualifies as, as you know, eligible for this conversation, but he was—he's you know extremely intelligent, a numbers guy, very into analytics, and and that tends to you know as opposed to just going from your heart, he's going off a data sheet, and and that that tends to uh, lend itself to fantasy success.
2: You mentioned a couple guys with some bucks, like a Granky and a Scherzer. How expensive do these uh, professional baseball drafts get?
1: Oh gosh, so uh, there are leagues I've heard of with $25,000 buy-in and and it's every year. And then uh, those, that league particular in particular that I heard about also had a hundred dollars per transaction on top of it. And so I don't know what what the total bills were at the end of the, the the year, but I've heard about, I've heard of a $10,000 buy-in league um, with a, I think it was a $25 transaction fee. And then, most of the I've never played in a league with transaction fees where it was more than like a couple bucks or something like that. So I don't I don't know how much those can build up real quick. Um, but but the the standard locker room league I think is is usually between I've seen anywhere from a thousand to three thousand dollar buy in per team. And when we did the three thousand dollar buy in, we it, there was so we started out as a fifteen hundred dollar buy in, and there was so much interest in the league that like we had like twenty guys wanting to be in the league and so we said look everybody has to double up and so i went and found gerardo para to to basically (laughs) be a bankroll guy um knowing that he he basically knew nothing about fantasy football um as long as it you know when you say fantasy football to him he thinks of soccer and so i i was like this is the perfect candidate to to be a a co-owner because he's not gonna try to do too much with the team I ended up getting second place in the league and won high points that year. And he had, it's funny, look, over the winter, he had gone back to Venezuela, had completely forgotten about, you know, the fantasy league and we show up at spring training and I, I gave him an envelope stuffed with cash from, from half the earnings from the year before. And he was like, what's this for? And I was like, fantasy football. And he was like, Oh, Ziggy, you the man, you know, like he was fired <laughs> up because it was just a, a big pile of money he wasn't expecting. So it was, it was kind of
2: fun. Yeah. Well now that you're getting athletic money, you probably can do any kind of buy-in you want. (laughs) I know how that place runs. So, uh, you know, this is the, I'll I'll talk to my friend, Paul Fichtenbaum, who runs the show over there. Make sure you could still do $100 transactions. Anyway, I really really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, we'll check in. I want to check in with you in a few weeks. I'm really curious if Mahomes stays at this level. And if he doesn't, you know, I I, I wonder if you're going to worry that, uh, because DP is a little worried that he's going to regress to the mean.
1: Yeah, and I—it's—I'm not saying it's not possible. I just, from what I've seen in training camp, what I've seen in the preseason so far. I mean, I was at the 49ers game in their week three game. They went out three plays, 65 yard touchdown pass to Damian Williams, and then the next drive he he leads them down to a field goal. And he had—it was funny because on the third third and goal play or third, yeah, I guess it was third and whatever play, he starts scrambling a little bit. And he had Travis Kelsey wide open in the end zone, and it looked like he could have just flicked it to him, but he almost wasn't sure where he was at with the line of scrimmage. So he went in and kind of dove for a first down, and he hit in the back, and everybody's like holding their breath, and and he gets up, and you could, you they had him mic would up on on the sideline, or, or a mic picked this conversation up, where Reed's like, "What are you doing?" And he goes, "You haven't let me take a single hit all preseason. I had to take something mm. before the season started," and it was like. Okay. You know what? As long as he's, you know what? If he gets up, I don't care about him taking, taking a hit. As long as he gets up, starts walking, because if, if he goes down and Matt Moore becomes the, the chief starting quarterback, you talk about regressing to the mean. We're going to go way below whatever the mean is at that point.
2: Gosh, I love how strong a fan you are. I thought all professional athletes were cynical, <laughs> but you're, you're the real deal. Brad, we'll talk to you soon. I really appreciate the time, buddy.
1: My pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>
2: That was great. One of the things Brad recently told me, he does a guillotine league where if your team comes in last place in a given week, you're cut from the league. It's like relegation. It's totally intense. I got to get into it. Okay, our next guest is a guy you may not know now, but I feel like you're going to know. He's a former college football running back, and he scouts really hard. He knows his stuff, and he thinks really differently. I think you're going to like this. Uh, we're now really excited to be joined by Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, founder and analyst at Football Game Plan, also does great work for The Athletic uh, and does college football color analysis. Uh, Emery, can you give us a little background before we jump in? What is your scouting background, and sort of how, how did you get into it?
0: Well, I played at the University of Louisiana, home of the Rage Cages, give those guys a shout-out. Um, and once my career was done, graduated and started to coach Back at my old high school in, in New Orleans, Louisiana, at McMain High School, um, started working in corporate America. Shortly after that, Katrina blew me up this way to New York, and, and while I was still uh, doing recruiting, I started football game planning in 07. and uh, we added the video content in 2009, and have gotten uh, you know better every every year after that, and you know that kind of led me to doing my college football broadcasting duties, which I do every Saturday. And as far as the scouting part is concerned, we were always big draft picks, you know, from the start. You know, we watch the draft and, and, you know, when we started to do football game plan, we started to break down the prospects, our own, and have our own grades, our own specific grades and analysis and stack those up to how well these guys were performing over time and just kind of how we got started. You know, if I'm not broadcasting the game, I'm out in, in the field scouting a game as well. For instance, I, this weekend I broadcast Western Michigan and Monmouth, um, but tomorrow I'll be at Stony Brook and Bryant scouting the talent that's there. So i always wow. trying to get at least one game in if I'm <laughs> not doing a broadcast.
2: Who's the NFL guy who went to Monmouth? Is that Victor Cruz or I'm trying to remember.
0: Here, that's Miles Austin.
2: Miles Austin, right. Okay. Um, yep. and, by the way, who else?
0: And uh, this, um, Always open 7-Eleven guy.
2: Oh, right, right. Oh, okay. Question Why do you call it just Louisiana? You don't call it Louisiana Lafayette anymore?
0: Well, here's the thing. When I first got there, we were still the University of Southwestern Louisiana. Right. And going into my sophomore year, they changed it to the University of Louisiana Lafayette. But it was so doggone long to say, and we (laughs) made a concerted effort to just say Louisiana. And we know that ticked off both LSU and UL Monroe, and so it, since we knew it, it bothered people, we just kept calling Louisiana to where the big campaign came to where they actually changed it, and that it stuck. So it still kind of needles UL Monroe and LSU. They hate it, but too too late. It's already done. Science doesn't deliver.
2: And I'm sorry, which who plays in Shreveport? That which uh, Louisiana team? Is that La
0: Tech. That they're, La- they're right outside of Shreveport. LaTeX.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. Because I've been to that stadium. I have not been to Lafayette. Okay. All right. Let's uh, dive into some NFL. So you recently wrote a column on Jacoby Brissett, who you did a lot of work on him at NC State and also his 2017 performance. So Emery, explain to me, you know, he was 13 touchdowns, seven picks, 3,000 yards in 2017. Why I should expect something different out of Jacoby Brissett in 2019 with the Colts?
0: He's in a much better situation now than he was in 2017. You talk about a guy that had just gotten there a week before going out there and being the starter for the full season behind what was then a porous offensive line. He didn't have the assortment of weapons uh, that they have now at their disposal. So you look at the offensive line right now for the Colts, arguably the best in the AFC. I know that rivals the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they're right up there, so they're very good. The receiving core with T.Y. Hilton, Devin Funches, and Paris Campbell, the rookie, along with that that wild array of tight end talent they have uh, on their on their roster, led by Jack Doyle and also uh, Eric, Eric Ebron. So there's a ton of talent around him. In the backfield I still is I feel as though it's still a question mark, but they're still comparable uh, guys back there, Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines. But the offense is much better. The continuity within the scheme, this is his second year in that system under Frank Wright. And also this is his third year working with a lot of those guys on that roster. So the comfort, the continuity, the consistency is going to be there, and that confidence is going to be sky high stepping into the situation.
2: Now, when you say better, are we talking 35 touchdowns in that system? Are we Is he an elite, so let's say an elite fantasy quarterback, or is he just a good quarterback?
0: You know, it's interesting because you could go either way with that when you talk about today's passing game because it seems like everyone is throwing up 30 touchdown passes. So it wouldn't surprise me if he does, considering how football is played now. I think what you should focus on is the 40 attempts that were mm. Andrew Luck's attempts last year. Now, we don't know if Frank Wright is going to have that type of leeway with Jacoby Brissett, so he may keep him in a range of 28 to 29 attempts, which until he trusts him a little bit more, and unless he proves that he can handle 40 attempts a game. So I don't see that 37 35 touchdown number. I see more along the lines of 27 touchdowns, maybe seven or eight picks. Um, and if things are starting to go right toward the back end of the season, it could definitely creep to at least 30 or 31 touchdowns. So I'd say good fantasy option before I say great fantasy option.
2: Right. But you're saying a lot of nice things about Jacoby Brissett and I buy it. But when I'm sitting there and I'm in the fantasy draft and I'm looking at T.Y. Hilton really high up, I just can't help but downgrade him. You know, it, logically, yes, I agree with you. The Colts have all these pieces, But it just feels about 20% less than what it would have been with Luck.
0: Well, one thing that that ties into why you shouldn't have reservations about T.Y. Hilton is the fact that Jacoby Brissett throws probably one of the more beautiful deep balls out there. And we know Hilton is a deep threat. And I would say this. I would always gamble on talent. Mm -hmm. And we know T.Y. Hilton is a talent. And in the fantasy draft, I would go wide receiver, wide receiver, tight end, then running back. So I would take all the top options from wide receiver first before anything else, because you can find comparable running backs. It's hard to find those true game breakers at that position, regardless of who's throwing in the football. And we've seen this with A.J. Green, just opposed to Andy Dalton. I think you can trust T.Y. Hilton uh, with Jacoby Reset passing in the rock.
2: Okay, I'll buy it. Uh, let's move on to another quarterback. You wrote a great article on Kyler Murray. Why you think he's going to be successful, both from a, a real standpoint and a fantasy standpoint? I've been watching him this preseason. Man, that arm is is different. It just comes out like a rocket. It's am I overreacting to what I I see? I know he had a lot of struggles, but I also saw like a kind of a rare arm out of him. He looks like, I saw the star potential you were talking about. You probably watched him in preseason. Are you still optimistic about Kyler Murray in Arizona?
0: Absolutely, man. And always trust your eyes, Andrew. Your eyes will never steer you wrong. If if you're seeing it, it's actually happening. And it it doesn't lie to you very often. So when you look at him, he's in a unique situation to where they really can't show anything. Because this is a new coach, new scheme. You kind of have an idea of what they're going to run if you watch a lot of college football and are very familiar with Cliff Kingsbury. But if you're not, they really can't show anything. And when you look at the history of guys that have played in the air raid uh, system, they never had a quarterback that was quite like Kyler Murray that's a tremendous athlete that makes it an 11-on-11 game. And now he's the, the ultimate chess piece in that, in that offense because you can't blitz him, because he'll take off and gas you there. You can only play a certain amount of coverage. You're probably going to be heavy zone, or zone match, which means you're going to have some some windows that are going to be <laughs> as big as church windows mm. out there for him to throw the football in. And at all intents and purposes, everyone is going to have their opportunity to be successful, especially when you look at the backfield. Everyone talks about David Johnson. You know, when he's paired up with a mobile quarterback like Tyler Murray, his numbers should be fantastic. We saw this with CJ 2K when he was with Vince Young. We saw this with uh, Warren Gunn when he was with Michael Vick. Mm. Some of the best career rushing numbers were paired with guys that were mobile quarterbacks, Marshawn Lynch and also Russell Wilson. So the list goes on and on. I just think this offense is going to be fantastic and he's going to hit the ground running because he is one, a tremendous athlete. He's apt at throwing the football really well and accurately. um, And it's just going to, and the, the offense for a rookie is. Tailor made around him, so he has more comfort with this offense than other rookies stepping into their situations.
2: But mean the air raid's been around a long time in college football. Why? Why did it take till now for a really true air raid coach to get you know get control of a team? Would they have done this five years ago? The things you're describing five years ago, ten years ago, especially with a lot of spread elements coming to the NFL. Yeah, I know all the reasons that they say air raid won't work. NFL defenders are too fast. You know. The hash, you know, the hash marks are closer. Why do you think it's different now? I feel like if air raid was going to work, it would have happened already.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because therein lies the rub, and the reason why is it hadn't worked back then because they weren't receptive to the type of quarterback that could really neutralize what the defense was doing to that air raid offense. Back then, you had quarterbacks that wasn't mobile, that didn't pose a threat in the running game. So, yes, you could tee off on those guys and really blitz them. Mm. Now, with the advent of the Colin Murray, the so Vince Junko I thought was a, a, you know, a couple of years before his time, uh, RG3, Russell Wilson, uh, Lamar Jackson, all these guys are having tremendous success. Why? Because they pose that threat of the running element to it. Deshaun Watson is another one. So, yeah, you could sit back there with your quarterback that's in the pocket and also picking apart the defense. But when you add the fact that now you have to worry about him taking off and running or even extending the play, and not only just extending the play, but he could extend it to where he can hit a touchdown deep down the field, it makes that offense a lot more dangerous than what we saw with the Red Gun Falcons, the 88, you know, the run-and-shoot Oilers. Um, You even have to go back to the Houston Gamblers in in 84 in the USFL with Jim Kelly and company? where you can say, man, look how explosive that offense was. And even then, he had a Hall of Fame quarterback and still couldn't threaten the way a guy like Kyler Murray can because of his athleticism.
2: Okay, but you know the arguments against the mobile quarterbacks, that they're going to wear down, they're going to get injured. You know, So you look at Lamar Jackson, you look at Ky- all the carries Lamar Jackson had in his starts last year. You look at Deshaun Watson, has already had injury problems. Carson Wentz has had injury problems. You can go down the list of mobile quarterbacks you're not worried about that, Emory?
0: You can't hit what you can't catch. You can't hurt what you can't <laughs> touch. And you look at guys like Carson Wentz runs reckless. Michael Vick ran reckless. Guys like Ben Chung ran under control. A guy like Deshaun Watson, he runs a little reckless, but he also runs under control. He got hurt non-contact yeah. in practice. Um, Cam Newton got hurt in the pocket. Russell Wilson had to miss the game. So when you and Lamar Jackson find me tape of him getting hurt in high school or at Louisville, he can't because he had because he runs under control. Uh, when you run under control, you're going to be fine. When you run reckless like RG3 and Wentz and those guys, you're going to leave yourself prone to injury. And as the runner, you control angles. You also control the how, the when, the why, the where you take hits. So that's one key that people don't talk about. They think, oh, because you're running, you're going to turn into Christian Okoye. No, you, you're going to run. And you're going to find ways to, to not take a hit. And also, not every hit hurts uh, that people just don't understand. You get more injury, you get more injuries in a pocket than you do running outside the pocket. So I just think that, you know, that's a myth that, that's going to be debunked once again. Um, as you see guys just consistently run and move around and, and be able to take care of themselves.
2: So the way you describe it, Kyler Murray could be a safer running quarterback than, say, Cam Newton. Because a lot of people see Cam Newton, he's so big, and say, well, he can run— Because he's so big, it's safer. It almost sounds like the exact opposite.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's why guys like, if size really mattered and juxtaposed to injury, Brandon Jacobs would have been the greatest running back in (laughs)
2: history. Yeah. But
0: he always seemed to be nicked up or missing some time because he was running directly into people, juxtaposed to a guy like Barry Sanders who never got hurt, (laughs) never missed Mm -hmm. a season, and carried the ball often. Uh, you know, a lot. Even like Emmitt Smith, never really got hurt to where he missed, and he carried the ball a ton. So it's all about can you make a guy miss? You know, even a guy like Bettis had elusiveness more so than a guy, let's say, like a Trump candidate or someone that's smaller that people would just assume, oh, Bettis big guy, bruiser, he's going to get hurt. But his footwork was a lot better than a guy like Trunk candidate or someone that sees injured, like all of the San Francisco running backs. So when you look at that it just proves again that you know, size is not a skill, and if you're if you're <laughs> elusive, you can find a way to not get injured. And injuries are also a freak occurrence. Again, Bridgewater got hurt, dropped mm. back in practice. Watson got hurt in practice. You saw how Cam Newton got hurt. He's taking hellacious shots, and it was that shot that put him out. So I just think that you know it's a freak occurrence. It, injuries you can't predict, um, and I just think people need to stop trying to put their own limitations on those guys that can do things that we haven't seen done before.
2: How tall are you, Emery? 5'10",
0: 225.
2: Yeah, like, what's the ideal size for a running back? You don't want... The tall guys of my youth are not there. There's no Marcus Dupree's or Eric Dickerson's anymore.
0: Right, and here's the thing. If you're going to... Backs come in all great, you know, shapes and sizes, right? So, if you're going to be a good back, you just have to have great pad level, because we've seen shorter backs run extremely high and it's like you're giving yourself mm. a lot of room to hit you've seen taller backs let's say like a deuce McAllister run with so much body lean to where man he's running like he's a 5'9 guy which is awesome uh because again that when you run with good pad level your change of direction is, is greater and you can also elude uh, defenders more so than guys that tend to run high
2: i didn't even know deuce McAllister was tall which shows you exactly what you're saying i thought he was a little guy i had no idea deuce,
0: he is six I, I no. ran into Deuce. Yeah, Deuce is a legit 6'2 and a half. I ran into him uh, last weekend at the Jet, Jet Saints preseason game, and Deuce is a big dude, man, like legit 6'2 and a half. Marcus Allen is about the same height as Deuce as well, a taller guy, 6'2 and a half. And, and he ran like you're you running your dreams. You know, he was so fluid, so smooth <laughs> uh, for a taller guy.
2: Okay, this is a bit of a left turn, a left handed turn. Tim Tebow was a mobile quarterback as well. I have a theory. I saw him when he tried out for the Patriots. He was 26. And I swear he could not beat linebackers the way he did when he was 22 in Denver. Is it possible that a Tim Tebow or some of these mobile quarterbacks can lose just a little bit of speed as their career goes on and that can affect their play? I know Tebow doesn't pass like the guys we've been talking about, but is, it, is that a theory that works at all that Tebow maybe took too many hits and eventually like he couldn't get away with what he did early in his career?
0: Or maybe he just wasn't that fast to begin with. And be, here's the thing, too. Because of his size, and I'm glad you brought up him in college and what he was able to do you know, when he was in college, because in the NFL, there are no 18-year-old linebackers. There are no 18-year-old freshmen. We saw this back in the day with Ron Dane. Yeah, you can run over some 18-year-old
2: true freshman <laughs>
0: linebacker that's afraid to tackle you. In the, in the NFL, no one is afraid to tackle you, so you can't do the same thing. Uh, and I think Tim Tebow, Thought he can continue to do what he what he was doing at Florida, it worked for him. But when you're, he was already a, a thicker guy, so he's going to naturally slow down. Yeah. But these these more agile guys are something that's something you won't lose. Uh, Father time is undefeated. Your your weight gain is going to be something that obviously we all go through, and so you're going to get slower, but you won't lose that elusiveness if you still have it. Like we see a guy like LaShawn McCoy at his age mm. still has that footwork despite him not being the the same dynamic player he was in his 20s, but the footwork doesn't lead.
2: Absolutely. Okay, uh, let's talk about the 2018 quarterbacks. If you had to rank the guys, Baker Mayfield, uh, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, and Josh Allen, rank what you think they will have, who will have the most success in 2019?
0: I would go Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield. Um, I'm going to give some credit to... uh, Sam Darnold, I, I think he's going to have a, a tremendous year this season. Josh Rosen, I think, will get cool. Smarter heads will prevail and they'll start the dude down there in Miami. <laughs> and then, then Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen's numbers will be improved. I think he'll have a uh, Mitch Trubisky-type season where the numbers are improved, but you still feel as though he's maybe slightly holding the team back a little bit. Um, so I, I see that happening. But I think all guys take a step. But I, I do believe It'll be Darnold, I'm sorry, uh, Jackson, uh, Mayfield, and Darnold as one, two, and
2: three. I actually knew you were going to go Lamar Jackson, number one. Do uh, people give you a hard time about that? Because the consensus is Baker Mayfield is going to be the face of the NFL this year. And for good reason, I mean, he was great last year. Uh, have you got a lot of flack for your Lamar Jackson love over Baker?
0: I always get it. Uh, I mean, but it's funny when you sit back and just let stuff stew and it, it bubbles up, and it's yeah. like, wow, you're absolutely right. I tweeted this out February 20th, 2018, at the Combine. I said if Lamar Jackson had a 72% completion percentage, they'd say he was a simple offense. Since it's below the arbitrary 6%, they're saying he's inaccurate. The goalposts will always move. Here's what I do know. The team that drafts him will be in the playoffs with him at QB. Yeah. So fast forward to you know, what happened last year. I just think that people, his running is so dynamic, that people over, use that to overshadow how much growth he had as a passer at Louisville. Mm-hmm. From his, like, freshman year, he was legit takeoff and run. And his sophomore year, his Heisman year, significant jump in passing and patience and his accuracy in addition to him being a fantastic runner. His junior season was actually better than his Heisman winning season uh, from an efficiency standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so why wouldn't we expect the same jump from a rookie year, where I talked to Coach Harbaugh, and he said they essentially had to use the Lamar Jackson package um, for the entire offense the rest of the way. And wouldn't you want a quarterback that has the mental toughness that had other Lamar Jackson? Because think about this: those last seven games were essentially seven playoff games. They had little room for error to lose any games, so they had to win all of those games just to get into the playoffs. And we know they nearly beat. Let him down to a touchdown drive. Defense gave up the fourth down play. We know how that ended up. So I think he's going to make a significant jump again this upcoming season because we've seen him do it time and time again.
2: Okay. I have a confession. I am a bit of a Bengals fan uh, because I'm friendly with Andy Dalton. And I've been waiting for the Ravens defense to fall off for about 10 years now. And maybe, maybe this is the year. I mean, they, but I don't think so. What do you think? I don't
0: think so either because it's funny every time ever since the Ravens has have uh, has you know have arrived to Baltimore if all you you never remember a Ravens defense being terrible, don't you no nope. it, it just seems like it has all no matter who's on that team they they're like Clemson's defensive line It's just you know there's just a wave of guys that they're constantly replacing and you're like man I, I thought he yeah. I thought this guy left I thought this guy you know you know was injured I thought this guy was was gone. And they're still good. I see Baltimore being the same way. I think what's the reason being is they know how to draft. They know how to scout. They yeah. know how to you know, pinpoint guys specifically for what they want to do. And they're able to go out there and execute at a higher level. So no matter who's out there, the mentality of this is the Ravens defense, it's, it's almost college-like how they've taken on that mindset for uh, for an NFL franchise.
2: Yeah, I mean, Suggs is gone. That's a big deal. He was always a huge difference maker. But look at this. I'm looking at their depth chart. Their uh, secondary, Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, Earl Thomas, Tony Jefferson, and Brandon Carr. I mean, that's going to challenge some quarterbacks. If Earl Thomas is disguising stuff, I do not want to throw against that defense. Yeah, that,
0: that's what I don't get. Like, you look at even a, a guy that was a backup is now going to be a starter and Chris Wormley, who was a monster at Michigan. It's yeah. like, man, you know, now this guy gets to start. Yeah. They, Brandy Williams is already there, and they draft. Well, uh, I like Dale and Matt they got from a They signed undrafted free agent Gerald Willis. Jalen Ferguson led the FBS in sacks, and all you heard about him was yeah. negative stuff coming in the draft. But, you you know, you don't get to lead the FBS in sacks if you're not talented. Obviously, whatever speed athleticism you have is working for you. So they just find guys that can could, that could get the job done. And it, it always seems to work out there that yeah. way for them on that side of the
2: ball. Yeah, I know. It's like you're Andy Dalton. You're like, oh, finally, Suggs is going. Then Judon gets around the edge, and it's like, where does this guy come from? <laughs> All right. Uh, I saw you write about the Jets, by the way. I'm pretty high on the Jets right now. I feel like we know the skill position talent with Le'Veon Bell and Sam Darnold. I just feel like there are a lot of pieces. And Adam Gase, if, if he does a good job, I see a 9 or 10 win team here.
0: I agree with you. You know, when you look at this team, pound for pound, I think he has more talent here than he did in Miami. Oh, sure. And we know that that first year in Miami, they, they were able to get to the playoffs. Um, but when you look at this team, like you said, the offensive line I think is solid. The the addition of James and I think was an underrated one. They got legit four backs that they can use in unique situations. All those guys from Le'Veon Bell, Ty Montgomery, Elijah McGuire, Rachel Cajun and Trenton Cannon, they can all line up at receiver and be effective in the downfield passing game. So there's a ton of creativity that they can utilize, a ton of explosiveness. I'm excited about the offense. I know people have their their thoughts about Greg Williams and his philosophy, but what I like about his philosophy is that he's aggressive, and he allows aggressive guys by nature, defense, to be aggressive. And that right there yields itself to turning the ball over, harassing quarterbacks, getting three and outs. Yeah, they may give up a big player too, but that defense—no one wants to face the defense that blitzes a lot, that's aggressive, that has a, a my ball mentality. No one wants to face that defense. And I think they have some some dogs on that side of the ball that can get the job done.
2: Emery, thank you so much for your time. Can I call you during the season? We could We got to go, come back to this Jacoby Brissett take. I'm very—that's one team I really, really want to watch first few weeks of the season.
0: Absolutely, I'm always a phone call away. This was this was fun.
2: Awesome, buddy. Talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Emery.
0: Have a good one.
2: All right, everyone. Good luck on your fantasy draft. Good luck if you're a Colts fan. It's going to be fun. We're going to do a lot of fantasy. We're going to do a lot of NFL. Against the grain, man. The season's almost here. I'm excited. Let's do it. Against the grain.